everyone, and welcome to Best One Sense, the next one, the podcast that dives deeper than the depravity of Little Caesars Batman Calzone into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. We're back after a few weeks off. Uh, thanks for sticking in there with us as we took some time off to just kind of process life for a bit. I know like as people that like create content or podcasts, there's a need or a, it seems like a drive to constantly have to create stuff. Take some time for yourself. Uh, content can wait. Uh, your mental health cannot. It's always more important than any, you know, controlled algorithm situation or anything like that. So like take some time for yourself before we get started with today's show, which is going to be focused on Matt Reeves, the Batman, which is finally here. And we're going to talk all about it. I wanted to talk about our March Madness style bracket tournament we have going on called Franchise Frenzy. It's our first time doing this where we're going to go through and pit random franchises against each other in four different regions. We got sci-fi, fantasy, comic book movies, and straight up action movies. We're running it straight up March Madness bracket style. Uh, the first round is up for voting now, and you can go to the link in our bio uh, on Instagram to point towards that and vote as it stands. We have uh, Aliens versus Terminator. Aliens is ahead with 62% of the vote. Planet of the Apes versus Mad Max. Mad Max is ahead 56% to 43%. Lord of the Rings versus Game of Thrones, 81% to 18.8%. I think I know where that one's headed. We have Conan the Barbarian versus Harry Potter. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I, think our, I think our guest is going to be mad about this, but it's 76% Harry Potter to 23.5% mm. Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> um, moving out over to the action bracket, it's Mission Impossible series at 52.9% versus The Fast and the Furious at 47.1%. I'm mad about that. Let's yeah. get more votes for Dom. Uh, and then James Bond at 64.7% to John Wick at 35.3%. We're going to need Man. Paul to create some more yeah. accounts to vote on <laughs> this one. Some burner accounts to get that vote out. So. <laughs> Then it's uh, X-Men in our comic book region. It's X-Men at 29.4% versus Spider-Man at 70.6%. I'm actually surprised by that. Um, yeah. I know everyone's got oh. Spider-Man fever right now, but like I was kind of surprised. Um, and then uh, the Superman franchise versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's 52.9% mm. for the Turtles and 47.1% for Superman. So thank you to everyone that's voted so far. Um, this first round will go through next Monday. Uh, March 7th, and then it'll start up uh, the second round of voting for the winners of that round on March 8th, right at midnight. So you can start voting again. I just mostly like to just click things. I love brackets because I love to <laughs> I just like love to click on things on my phone. So sure. I don't yeah. even care what the content is. I'll vote on every bracket. So, <laughs> so thanks to everyone that's voted so far. The winner of Franchise Frenzy will be featured in the fall as its own full series. So thanks for helping decide what we're doing next. Um, today though, it's finally time to talk about Matt Reeves, the Batman. Um, and with me today to talk all about it is, uh, our Batman 66 connoisseur, our <laughs> resident Batmanologist. It's Paul Jaisley. He's back. Welcome back, Paul. Uh, please call me vengeance. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. Vengeance. <laughs> uh, no, it's good to be back. Um, yeah, it's, I, um, I don't know where to start with this. I'll just say I had so much fun talking about Batman 66 with you, John. This movie could not be more different from that film. But <laughs> it's I think more I, opposite. I, it's it's the exact opposite, but I absolutely loved it. So I'm excited to talk about it. We're going to divide it up because clearly the movie, as we're recording this, it's it's Wednesday. The movie is not technically out yet. Paul and I attended like a, a fan first, big air quote, screening of the film in IMAX last night. Uh, it was sold out. We sat way separately. Um <laughs> And I told Paul I was going to hold a little mirror up to flash it at him whenever I liked the part. So I was flashing my mirror quite a bit. I sat next to a really annoying person uh, who was just super, super into it, which is fine. But every little detail of the movie, he was like, oh, 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 oh. 
and I, I did not care for that. But at the same time, I did care quite a bit for the movie. That's so funny, John, because I was sitting next to the same guy, apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> He's cloned. It was Tweedledee and Tweedledum in the seats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we're going to divide the show up uh, since it's not out yet, technically, uh, into the first half is going to be more like spoiler-free, just impressions, kind of talking loosely and vaguely about our feelings towards the movie as a Batman movie as a whole. And then... After we get into this, some details of the film itself, we'll get into some more like spoilery details. We're not going to do a plot synopsis for the movie either because it just came out and it's there's a lot of twists and turns. It's very uh, detective noir thriller based. So there's a lot of plot and it's nearly impossible to dictate all that from, from memory. Yeah. I would be concerned about myself if I could do that. So, yeah. So, Paul, you said you you loved it. What where do you think it it it, uh, it sits in like the pantheon of, of Batman movies? Do you think they finally nailed it do you think that they got close but not quite what are your thoughts on it yeah um you know if you haven't listened to the previous episode i was on um i'm a big batman fan the character means a lot to me and i come to these movies with a lot of uh, i guess baggage um i have a particular you know version of batman that lives in my head um but i think the strength of the character is that he can adapt to any type of story really and you can take different versions of him so for me you know, I kind of prefer the idea of Batman being an optimist. I love the Batman 66 Adam West series. I also love the Frank Miller comics. Mm-hmm. I can go either direction, but for the most part, the films never really dive deep enough into the character to f- unpack the elements of Batman that I find really interesting until this one. I think this is the first time I saw aspects of the character that I think are very important represented on screen in a serious way. And I think it's one of the first Batman films that really felt like a Batman story first, you know, instead of being an action film that Batman happens to be in or, you know, a Tim Burton movie that Batman happens to be in, it really felt like I was sitting in the theater, literally reading a Batman comic, like a six issue Batman comic. And that really meant a lot to me as a lifelong Batman fan who loves comics. It really came the closest to capturing the character I have in my head. I'm in complete agreement where I was getting chills just sitting in my seat. Like my hair was all messed up at the end of the movie. Cause I kept like <laughs> running my hands to my hair at certain parts. Cause I was like, yes, yeah. it's happening. It's happening. It's always, I, I've always wanted to see this. And again, there is a version of a Batman story that exists in my head as well. That, like I said in the earlier yeah. episode, it involves like, you know, poison Ivy unleashing like a walking piranha plant <laughs> on the, on the city or like some goofy, some goofy, like Joel Schumacher style plot mixed with some seriousness that I would still love to see. Yeah. But this was like, <laughs> Even better than seeing that. It was just such a an ode to the the, the 90s and like early 2000s Batman runs. And then also sure. like kind of the earlier detective noir runs of Batman. Mm-hmm. Our friend Mo, friend of the show, Mo Shafiq, who was on the, the Matrix episodes, he put it so perfectly that, you know, I don't even want to try to rephrase it in my own words. He When he first saw it, he said it was like David Fincher doing an episode of like the mob episodes of Batman, the animated series. And it mm-hmm. could not, that's like so spot on. It was definitely very like Matt Reeves has definitely read the long Halloween, like a hundred times <laughs> the spirit of that storyline, that Batman run, which is like definitely one of my favorites ever kind of plugged into a more modern sense of storytelling. And everything was just like firing off here. It was the, the bat suit looked amazing. The Batmobile looked amazing. Gotham looked amazing. We'll get more into that a little bit later. Yeah. I, I do want to make a quick point. Like, like I said, you know, it's weird to be sitting in a theater and having the experience of reading a comic because they're two very different experiences. And I don't want to say it was like a direct, you know, page to screen adaptation. Cause that'd be very boring, but 
the way the story was laid out, you could kind of see the chapter breaks. You know, it's, it's a three hour mm-hmm. movie, but there yeah. are moments where just like, okay, this would be the end of the first issue. And this would be the beginning of the second issue. You kind of almost broken down into the 22 page story structure of a monthly comic book. And I think that really worked for me. I mean, if, if I'm used to that type of storytelling, I was really impressed by the way uh, Matt Reeves was able to do that. And I will get more into it, I think later on, but visually, not making it look quote unquote like a comic book, but really leaning into the visual aesthetics of what makes the character work and what makes this world interesting. It's yeah, a visually very impressive movie in that regard. The color palette, the gadgetry choices, the shots. It definitely evoked a feeling I get from reading the weirder like nineties, late ni- later nineties mm-hmm. Batman runs that had this like string of melancholy and like deranged like lunacy going through them that were like almost scary like the mr zaz yeah reading batman in, in my teens and just kind of being a little bit spooked by some of the stories because they were so they were <laughs> yeah. so like grounded in reality but just with these really larger than life supervillain type characters that were murderous and yeah. like almost serial killers and this movie definitely had that going for it um had this yeah. real this, this string of not quite horror but definitely definitely like intense thriller so yeah i mean there are plenty of batman comics you know that do lean into the horror aspect, you know, of the character. And I think this movie does that. It's, it's a nice sort of mixing pot of being a blockbuster film. That's also a detective story, uh, a suspense thriller, a horror film, and like a Mm. moody goth music video. Like it's all like kind of, it's a cosmic gumbo, so to speak of all that stuff. (laughs) And it totally works. (laughs) Gotta stir it. And like you said, Paul, what a world we live in when there's a Batman movie with a Nirvana song in it. Okay, I wasn't sure if we wanted to dive in because I, I don't know if that's this. a spoiler, but it's in the it's uh, yeah, in exactly. the uh, it's in the trailer. So because I was going to say, um, you know, I hinted at the idea that I have a very specific take of Batman, a very specific idea of Batman, and a lot of the early hype for this film, I seeing the trailers and reading some early reviews, there were things that made me hesitate. I was like, "Ooh, we don't need another really dark, gritty, quote unquote, realistic Batman. We don't need a brooding Batman." But there is a scene early on in the film that uses that song. And when that scene hits, I was sold. I was like, oh, if this is where you're going to take this, I'm in for the ride. Like that scene sold me completely. I I think Batman tends to work the best as a gothic horror story. Like you said, it it tends to work the best when it's weird. And this is this movie is definitely weird and and gothic as hell. So it's like (laughs) it's it's definitely like the ultimate Batman on screen. So um, I think I think pretty much that. I feel like I've said all I can say without getting into <laughs> details. I know. Um, I'm yeah. not sure where you're at, but I think we should we can move on ahead to the spoiler uh, aspect of the show. So absolutely, uh, let's go. With that in mind, let's head to the Bat Computer for a rundown on all things the Batman to the Bat Cave. Like we said, not quite released yet. Actually, it will be released as of the um, as of when this podcast goes up. It comes out on March 4th, 2022. Directed by franchise Ford Coppola himself, Matt Reeves. (laughs) I'm uh, claiming that as my own now because Matt Reeves, I really respect Matt Reeves' ability to just dial in the vision and the tone of ridiculous premises and make them and sell them so hard. Like, I'm an enormous fan of his, his two Planet of the Apes, like, reboot. Like mm-hmm. sequels, I I think that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in like 15 years will be talked about like Empire Strikes Back is uh, something about it just really speaks to me and it's these images that he creates and these moods mm-hmm. like the very first frame of that movie is you know it takes place 
X amount of years after the, the first one in San Francisco, which takes place during like present day, present day. But it's clearly this time jump has happened. And the first image mm -hmm. of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is Caesar, played by Andy Serkis, who is also in this film. Like it starts off like this extreme close up on his face and starts slowly zooming out to this mm -hmm. like rain soaked jungle. But it's just like all overgrown gas stations and shit. And it's like you instantly understand where you are, the time, the mm -hmm. setting, the mood, what's happening. And it's yeah. like three seconds into the movie. And I just think that he's just got a knack for the type of image he wants to portray and the type of mood and, and, and complete in like the themes that he wants to portray. And yeah. he just, he has a vision and it's like, I don't think people give him enough credit because he's definitely like the reliable studio guy that you bring in to make a really cool movie. Like he made Cloverfield and your mileage may, yeah. your mileage may vary on that movie, but it's, it's definitely something fun and, and big uh, and different <laughs> for the time. But I just think he's I think he's going to get his due with this movie with so many people tuning into it. So written by Matt Reeves himself and uh, and Peter Craig, who also wrote The Town. Let's go. Let's do it. That movie's fucking awesome. Uh, have you, have you ever seen so The Town, sense. Paul? Yeah, it makes so much sense. Yeah, like, it makes total sense. The, yeah. the Town and this movie is just Gotham. <laughs> it's fine. The music, almost a, and another character in the movie by Michael Giacchino. Probably the best Batman score since Batman Returns. Just incredible, yeah. moody, mm -hmm. simple just yes. mood setting music uh that rid that riddler theme keeps me up at night uh <laughs> sure. the, the batman theme itself <laughs> it's so tough to go in especially with danny elfman and the in the animated series theme yeah. it just ingrained in people's heads and i think the hans zimmer like uh nolan franchise like the, the nolan trilogy score is also a big historic like a cultural touch point for people at this point but it's not a easy task to go in and make a Batman theme at this point because the market's so flooded. The music in this, Michael Giacchino has such an amazing ability to take and repeat a motif in the song or like in the piece over and over again. And it shouldn't, it should get old, but it never does because it's so exciting and it's so ex exhilarating that like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. it's so simple. And I think of like his Star Trek score too, with like the with like the where it just repeats that over and over again, pretty much. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it shouldn't it shouldn't work as well as it does, but he's just got a knack for like knowing when to do that and knowing when to take off like a Rogue One score, where you know he's just he's riffing on John Williams, obviously, but yeah, it's also yeah. like his very he's definitely coming into his own or came into his own, and this this score is outrageous stuff it's just like it's it <laughs> yeah it, it, it sealed the deal for the movie for me it's very minimal i mean that motif is like just two notes basically but the way he plays with the dynamics of it when it's very subtle in the background it just it's like a character in the film like it creates an atmosphere and then when there's an action sequence it gets very loud and pounding and it's very exciting but yeah the ability to play with the dynamics of a very simple very catchy uh, motif is really impressive. Like I would just at work all day today and I kept like humming that in my head while just walking around <laughs> and it made right. everything more exciting, you know? So it was just stuck in my head ever since I saw it. Absolutely. I can't think of the last time that happened. Actually, probably the last time that happened with me was probably the Wonder Woman. Like, pretty rocking but this is obviously much better and then like i said that riddler theme is outrageous sets the tone so perfectly and then the catwoman theme which is that real jazzy old school noir style but brought up to a contemporary style i just i think it's so perfect for how zoe kravitz plays the character Absolutely. i don't know yep. there's just he was just, michael giacchino was just going off on this movie so um 
obviously the cast, uh, Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne and the Batman, Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle slash the Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, John Turturro, oh my God, John Turturro as Carmine Falcone, <laughs> Colin Farrell, oh my God, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, <laughs> Andy Serkis as Alfred Pennyworth, and uh, I didn't realize that Peter Skarsgård was in this movie, but as DA Gil Colson, the Peter Skarsgård character, um, real sleazeball, really wonderfully done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was like taken aback when I saw his face, like, oh wait, is that? And then I realized who it was. Like, oh, I didn't realize he was in this. Same thing with John Turturro. I think I, in the back of my mind, I knew John Turturro was in this, but the reveal of him, that character, is like it really kind of like I, you know, had to catch myself. Like, oh shit, it's John Turturro. Like, got me even more excited. You know. Yeah, I don't everything. think I realized it was him until the courthouse. Uh, or like the mm. funeral scene, mm-hmm. just with those shades and the great in the in the white hair, yeah. um, and he didn't have a lot of lines at first. And I was like, "Oh shit, that's John Turturro. He's he's amazing in this." Yeah, a budget of 185 to 200 million dollars. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes sitting at 87 percent critic score, no audience score yet, but I think people are gonna really like this. I really can't think of anything that I, even as like a hardcore militant Batman fan. <laughs> uh, that that like like that i'm sorry that like a hardcore militant batman fan i'm not including myself in that category right, okay gotcha. that 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 would they would have to complain about honestly but yeah we talked a little bit about matt reeves direction already just the, the look of it the choices that yeah. he's making in this movie this is clearly like an idea he's had in his head for maybe his whole life like if i ever had <laughs> my chance to make a batman movie because every last detail you see you see that 200 million dollars on screen um uh, but it's not and it's not in a battle against dark side or it's not a, it's not like <laughs> punching people through skyscrapers and stuff like that it's just right. in the art direction it's in yeah. the costumes it's in the production design uh it's so such a perfect gotham and it's such a perfect vision yeah. of a batman story and especially one that hasn't been told yet especially the way it begins with just like it's not like the camera going through a bat symbol with the music swelling up. <laughs> it's just, Oh, boom, yeah. title card, the Batman we're in. And then that yeah. first I was in, I think I was in from that very first <laughs> uh, binocular shot of the Riddler sure. like breathing in a mask. I was like, yeah, I, I love this. <laughs> this is great. I guess, I guess we, I mean, we should probably say we are in full spoiler territory at this point, right? Just if anyone's still listening that has not realized that. I'm sorry if I spoiled you that the Riddler breathe, <laughs> that breathes heavily in a mask because it happens a lot during this movie. Um, right. But yeah, we are in full spoiler zone at this point. So um, I just want to make that make sure it's clear because because again, as I alluded to, there is a particular scene that really sold me on the film, and after that, I was I was basically all in. But yeah, going into the film, I was a little hesitant because a lot of the early reviews were. I saw more than one review make some joke about like, apparently no one in Gotham owns a light bulb. So I'm like, Oh, it's going to be really grim. But to Matt Reeves credit, he's using that to create atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like the totally. movie is dark literally, but that makes the color moments pop. It doesn't feel dark. I mean, it, it feels dark and it looks dark, but it, there's a purpose behind it. It's not just to be, Oh, look how moody we are. It's creating a real sense of atmosphere. Absolutely. So when you have, those scenes where Batman or and Catwoman are on the rooftop of you know the police station, and the sun's coming up, those are some of the most beautiful shots in any Batman movie. It really is the best looking Batman movie we've ever gotten. In that one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And Gotham in this movie isn't like dismally dark. Uh, yeah. It's it's diseased. It's decaying, and it's right. it's it's. All of that is on screen. It feels like the it's it feels like a dangerous place, 
more more so than any Batman movie that's ever been on screen. Um, the, the scenes yeah. where Batman's like in the iceberg lounge with the uh, contact lenses <laughs> on, or I guess, I'm sorry, I guess when Catwoman has them on and spying for Batman, um, yeah. it's, it feels so claustrophobic and that effect from the, from the video on people's <laughs> eyes where it like kind of dulls people's eyes out. It feels like a dangerous place to be and it feels yeah. very, very corrupt. And it, it, it definitely nailed that somehow. I'm not sure. It, it almost feels apocalyptic, but it's not like, yeah. it's, it just, it just feels like a city without hope. Um, and I, I, I read a few of those reviews as well, where it's like, uh, do we, uh, I don't know, do we need another Batman movie? Do we need to see another version of Gotham and blah, 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 blah. And right. it's like, this is just so different that we, I think it, it, we do, I think that it really works for it because, um, like not to, not to bag on Christopher Nolan's Gotham, <laughs> but it was, it, it was yeah. just Chicago. It was just, it was yeah. just Chicago and there's no character to Gotham. This is like a mashup of. Um, this is like a mashup of like, old, like old school Chicago with like gangs of New York, um, yeah. era New York City mixed together <laughs> with like you know kind of the cobbled brick streets, but also like rundown subway cars. Um, it's a vision of it that's probably the closest to like uh, when, when Batman started getting into like the Alan Moore territory or like the Frank Miller territory. Uh, yeah. It's it's the more it, it's the more most Gotham. Uh, post like Batman for adults era that I've, I've seen or, you know, ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good point. I guess, so the scene that really sold it for me again is Batman or Bruce Wayne, I guess on a motorcycle, just rolling through the empty streets of Gotham. And it's kind of like the sun is kind of coming with that weird. There's a lot of points in the movie where it's like a liminal time where it's like, is it dusk or is it dawn? You can't really tell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like this middle period and it's him riding around on a motorcycle through these streets of Gotham while, you know, um, that Nirvana song is playing, you know, something in the way. And like that, as soon as that hit, like, Oh, this is the, this is Batman, you know, like this is Gotham. And if and this is got- the version you're going to give me in this movie, like I'm, that's what sold me completely is that vision of Gotham at that moment with that song for some reason. And I think what really helped it over the top with that is the um, the the narration from Bruce or from Batman, like right. uh, the, yeah. like the like in the reveal that it wasn't just like a voiceover; it's like a diary of his trials and tribulations as the, like for like the Gotham <laughs> Project, as it was called. Like yeah. he was calling. Is that from the comic books at all? Because I love that t- touch. That it's like he he doesn't really he calls himself the Batman, but it's like this is this is a project. This is like let's see how yeah. how far I can take this. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if any, it's a specific reference, but I touches like that, the use of narration, the use of color, um, that really speaks to Reeves understanding of what makes the comic book work, what makes Batman an interesting visual character in a graphic medium like comics. And I just wonder how much of that, if you're not used to that reading Batman comics, it might feel strange for a movie to really lean into those things. But as someone who loves Batman comics, this is kind of what I want. This is, it was speaking to me on that level. And I just, I think most fans or most filmgoers will accept it, but I can see some of the criticisms I was reading were people saying like, you know, oh, there's all this narration or it's very dark visually. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's, that's the tone he's going for because Reeves is trying to capture a certain graphic aesthetic element that he sees in, you know, um, long Halloween or ego, another Batman story he references mm-hmm. an influence. So that's totally. already there. And he just putting it on the screen in a way that I found was very, very satisfying. Imagine 
criticizing a Batman movie and saying it's too dark and moody. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I just think yeah. it's like hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a good segue because this is a Batman that we've never seen on screen before. This real um, kind of intermediate era year year two is what I've you know Matt Reeves is like referenced a lot is like yeah. this is early Batman still trying to figure things out. He's real like cocksure and, and, and smarmy and a little like he's just so um, arrogant and cocky uh, <laughs> and trying to portray an image of something that he's not quite sure he can do yet. Um, he's, he's portraying this and people are still, he's still striking fear in criminals hearts. Um, <laughs> oh my God, Paul, the bat, the bat <laughs> signal thing. Oh, I was like, yeah, I told you I cried at four different parts from the spectacle and the, <laughs> yeah. and not, not like not from sad parts, but from just like, Oh my God, he's doing it. He's doing it. Right. But like yeah. the, the, the whole, it's not, uh, when it goes up, it's not just a signal, it's a warning. Um, yeah. and it just showed the empty shadowy places where he wasn't, but people, the criminals <laughs> were like, so afraid of the shadows that they all dropped their knives and ran away. I was like, <laughs> we're doing it. We are doing it. Um, yeah. and yep. so to see this Batman, I wonder how people, I understand why people before when they saw Robert Pattinson cast <laughs> were like, Oh, emo Batman, goth, goth Batman. This is stupid. This guy, like the guy from twilight, blah, 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 blah. But the casting of Robert Pattinson. And then when Zoe Kravitz was announced, and then especially as when Paul Dano was announced, I was like, <laughs> I know what he's doing here. Like, I know what Matt Reeves right. is going to try. I know what he's trying to do here. And I didn't know exactly how he was going to do it, but that trio for some reason really sold the tone because i'm like oh man you're bringing paul dano into a blockbuster movie it's got to right. be it's got to be because you have a specific idea for this character and so to get robert pattinson in this role i i genuinely think he besides adam west i'm sorry paul <laughs> i genuinely i genuinely think he might be th like just the one of the best if not the best on-screen bat batman He's incredible in this movie. He's so I, moody. His his mask acting is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the way he portrays that, like, I got to have an image, but I'm not quite sure of myself yet. Like, <laughs> walking into a room kind of uh, chest puffed out. Um, <laughs> a little bit of ridiculousness to it, but also at the same yeah. time, it's still really intimidating and, and big. Uh, he plays it so well. And then his Bruce Wayne, just this damaged kid version of yeah. Bruce, oh, Bruce yeah. Wayne oh. is just so great just so great i thought it was perfect I, I absolutely thought it was perfect and what was so great about it is it did feel familiar and yet different from any other version of batman we've seen because you know um he's he's obsessed and he's driven but it's almost like he doesn't have a direction at first you know he knows totally. like he has an idea of what he wants and a lot of that opening narration of him saying you know i'm gonna use fear and I right away from the first trailer, I hated the line that he says, like, I'm vengeance. Like I hated mm -hmm. that. And it, cause it goes contrary to my understanding of Batman, but what was great about this movie is that over the course of the film, he actually changes. So by the end of the film, you actually have a Batman that says, wait, hope is more powerful than fear. Totally. And to me, and you know, my version of Batman, my particular take on the character that struck me so emotionally hard. Like this, like finally have a Batman saying that on screen and selling it it totally worked for me. And like that really captures an aspect of the character that I've always loved, but I've never seen portrayed on screen like that. Absolutely. And it's funny because they, they're really clever here because they don't really touch on, they don't, I mean, they don't show 
the Joe Chill like right. murder of Batman's parents, but it, his parents' murder is a huge, huge, huge looming specter over this movie. So yeah. they tell the origin in a sneaky way, but then mm-hmm. they really what they're really doing is telling not Bruce Wayne's origin as Batman, but Batman's origin as Batman. Exactly. Because yep. it's, and I, I just loved that where it's like this sne- sneaky, low key, still an origin story, uh, finding out, okay, this is what works. And literally like firing up a flare and <laughs> guiding innocent God. citizens. Oh yeah. God. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, uh, the build up to that final scene, we can talk more about it in a bit. I just, I, I just wanted to say like more about Robert Pattinson. Yeah, um, I think I a- think it's important because you said the you said he was cocksure and arrogant, but I didn't really get that. I felt he was more again directionless, obsessive, but directionless. And like, what's great is uh, he really does sell it, even with the mask. I think that's it's always funny to me when people complain about someone being cast as Batman because my response is always like, well, it doesn't matter who's under the suit. The suit yeah. does most of the acting. You know what I mean? But here I have the counterexample of like, even under that mask, Pattinson delivers so much pathos when you can't see his face, just his eyes. It's really remarkable. He was really, really nailed this. Um, There was a, yeah, I can't say anything bad about it. There was a scene where, um, right near the opening when, um, one of the characters is murdered by the Riddler and his son is sitting on a bed. And Batman like oh, lingers, lingers yeah. there and stares at him Come for on. like I'm uh, for like <laughs> two minutes, and I'm just like, "Geez, man, this is like, yeah, I want to live in this world forever. This is wonderful." Um, yeah, I yeah. I think the yeah. cocksure, like arrogant aspect of it, I just I think I mean more of like that, like uh, I'm an like invincible teen mentality, or like just <laughs> sure yo- young and yeah. arrogant, and like of I of course I should be doing this. Why wouldn't I be doing this? Like obsessed right. and put over the edge. Um, but I really thought it was interesting how, I mean, we've seen it before in like year one and things like that. And even in like Batman Begins, like Batman messing up is always really fun to see. Uh, sure. And like when he has the bat, like that inflatable bat, like flight oh. suit uh, yeah. and pulls the parachute too early and hits the bridge and f- stumbles over. But what I really loved before that started is it, he was he's afraid of heights. Uh right. Yeah. He's on top of the building. He's just like, oh, okay, this is the biggest <laughs> one I've done so far. Um, yeah. But it's not done in a, I don't think it's, it's not done for like a, uh, uh, it's not done for a laugh. It's like genuine, like anxiety and fear, like vertigo status. <laughs> um, and then I just, here, I got to do it. Let's go. Um, yeah. But I yeah. just, I just think Robert Pattinson, I, I, I mean, I was a believer from the get go because I just love Robert sure. Pattinson. Um, Me too. And it's like, it was kind of vindicating to see that this was, the kind of the the story that came out of it. I didn't know it was going to be this fucking good, but like I I <laughs> right. I, I had yeah. so much faith from just the casting alone, and I'm just so glad it played out like it did. Um, speaking of the casting, Zoe Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. Um, I mean, in the comics, this is true as well. I read that she um, assumed and like went in thinking that Catwoman is you know Selena Kyle is bisexual, <laughs> and it lent yeah. it landed a very like. Um, modern energy to the character in a in a real um like swagger to her that i really loved um yeah and she was kind of the victim without playing the victim uh very empowered and kind of took over halfway through um yeah has that real great selena kyle catwoman edge of like a little bit of chaos energy where where like Batman's like, you got to do this for me. And she's like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm actually doing it for me. And then she like <laughs> right. peels the contact lenses off several moments of a real 
amazing Catwoman stuff there. And just this, this, uh, this <laughs> dynamic of Catwoman and, and Batman was just, just wonderful. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, it, it really nails a relationship that uh, from the comics that I really enjoy where the idea of that, you know, Catwoman is, she's like in the gray area, you know, it's not, she's part of the rogues gallery of villain. Cause you know, she's a thief, but also she's, she's good hearted. You know what I mean? She's doing the right thing. She's looking out for her friend. Uh, she's willing to help bring down these crime families, but she's also like self-motivated. Whereas Batman by the end of this movie is more selfless. She's more looking out for herself. And there's reasons for that. They give her character background where that makes sense. You know what I mean? But it does walk a very fine line of that. She is really the anti-hero, you know, in this story, as opposed to Batman, who's very literally at the end becomes a hero. So with that, I, I thought that relationship between the, both of them was portrayed perfectly in this film where he uh, sees an ally, but at the same time is trying not trying to, uh, you know, I don't know how to phrase it. He sees he her sees, as an ally, but yeah, also she, like recognizes like, don't go down that road. Like don't become them. You know what I mean? Right. You're better yeah. than that. And it's a Se- really great dynamic. Sees her as an ally, but also I kind of in that Batman way identifies her as a threat. Um, or mm-hmm. like, Mm-hmm. Uh, like she could like break bad, you know, at any moment. So he's, you know, there's several yeah. scenes where she wants to kill um, one of the cricket cops that she thinks is the one involved in the whole, um, pl- like the whole uh, setup of it all. And you yeah. know, Batman's like, you pull that trigger, you become them. Like it's a, it, you know, it's a time tested line, but it, in this case <laughs> it, really, it really works because both of them are kind of on the verge of um, being pulled under by Gotham city. Exactly. Uh, and and it's yeah. they kind of they kind of need each, to build each other up to to stay away from that to not be yeah. just defeated and 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 become cynical. Um, but someone who is very cynical uh, and <laughs> who is fucking incredible in this movie is Paul Dano is Riddler. Yeah. I just had the best time. Every scene he was in, I felt like a psychopath because I was cracking up and like grinning ear to ear whenever he was saying anything in the most dire intense situations <laughs> i was yeah. like paul dano is just sinking his teeth in right now and i think specifically the, the, this riddler i there's a scene where at the funeral for the riddler's first victim they have a whole police funeral for this the old mayor of new york or not, not new york the mayor of gotham <laughs> sure. that everyone is attending even the crime families and things like that and he sends the DA that he just captured and drugged at, at a nightclub at this CD nightclub, uh, sends crashing into the, this funeral in a car with a bomb strapped to his neck, a puzzle bomb strapped to his neck and like an iPhone taped to his phone. And I read that Paul Dano did 200 takes on his own. Like Matt, Re- Matt Reeves <laughs> didn't say he had to, he was just like, what if right. I do it like this? What if I do it like this? What if I do it like this? And it, Matt Reeves just said he was watching him. Like, what is he doing? And he said he was right. just like directing a one man play on his own wow. with an iPhone in his face. Um, <laughs> and when he creeps in from the side of the phone and is just like, yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I was sold forever. I just think that, <laughs> I mean, Paul Dano, I love him and everything he's ever been in. He's a, a, a miracle in uh, there will be blood. <laughs> I mean, but his Riddler in here is so broken and so um, manic. And <laughs> I, I just loved how they portrayed him. I love um, yeah. 
his motivations I thought made so much sense. Like when um, that really amazing interrogation scene where yeah. they're at Arkham and Batman's talking to him and he's like, we did this together. And Batman's like, what are you talking <laughs> about? You're psychotic. And he's like, no man, you helped me. You helped yeah. me do all of this. Um, and uh, just, just his yeah. whole, his whole dialogue about uh, it, it kind of leaned into that. Like, billion like we don't like batman batman's a billionaire so he's technically the enemy like it kind of took that mentality and made it a motivation in a way because (laughs) the riddler is like you're i'm an orphan i had nothing you i had rats nibbling on my fingers in an orphanage you uh looking down from a a a billion dollar tower is not being an orphan um and it made a lot it made a lot of sense and it definitely felt like a very modern um uh very modern like insecurity or very modern like like villain making tale of like yeah you can't you come from wealth you were fine we had nothing so <laughs> it really it it's interesting it speaks to a larger theme of the film where you know the idea of any character can go either direction you know it's like they're walking this way there's a thin line so you know mm-hmm. the major one of the major plot points is the idea that thomas wayne had set up a billion dollar fund to help you know rehabilitate gotham and that gets corrupted just by the nature of it being Gotham, anything that's good is going to be corrupted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have this moment where the Riddler and Batman are sort of parallel to each other. And, uh, I mean, that's been done in other films. It's it's the same thing that we see in, in Tim Burton's Batman and The Dark Knight, where the Joker is basically saying, you and I are the same. But mm-hmm. here it's kind of twisted, and it becomes more of like, again, class dynamics and wealth and power. And Batman has a kind of, you see him have a, like a crisis of conscience, like, oh my gosh, is this what I'm inspiring? And that, that pushes him to change and say, I can't use fear anymore. You know, there's a different way to do this. So he sees the version of himself that is obsessed and has a clear direction and goes down that path in the Riddler. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he chooses absolutely. the other direction. It's a really powerful scene. And I think that moment, there are a lot of things in this movie that going in, as I said earlier, I was hesitant about, like, I didn't like the Riddler's gimp mask, you know, and a lot of stuff like that. But then that scene, obviously the interrogation, I'm like, oh, everything kind of clicks now. Everything makes sense. So it speaks to the idea of like letting the film, giving the film the time it needs to convince me and win me over. And it totally did in that moment. Oh yeah. I mean, 100%. And the fact that the the Riddler is like this, um, uh, like, like basically has his own like right at channel that it's yeah. password protected oh, yeah. and like mm-hmm. um is it, it's uh what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> not enthusiast but uh uh i don't he's just he's he's basically this this uh empowered like cult leader at this point and yeah. you don't realize yeah. that until the 11th hour of the movie when everything's kind of coming to a head but like um his little like saw traps and like things yeah. like that, like that, like the, like the rat maze on his head. But, uh, it, it kind of, <laughs> it, it brought this really, um, uh, like, tw- I want to say like sick and twisted. I don't, I don't think that that's right. really exactly what w- was happening. It was just like this really, uh, like dark turn on like, uh, the 66 Batman, like r- right. solving the riddles. Like, yes, of course. But like, um, you know, like when he gets the clue for drive, and uh, it's right. it's the it's the mayor's severed thumb uh, <laughs> in, in in a car. He's like thumb drive. Yeah. Like it's just like right. that cordiness is there, but it's like using dismembered body parts and things like that. So um, I thought I it was, was a very good. That. 
yeah, I thought it was a very smart sort of interpretation of the of the riddles themselves. You know what I mean? It's totally it moments where that, you know, I again a lot of the reviews were saying like how it's you know it's very grim and it's the humorless. I there's a lot of scenes where I just I thought I enjoyed it. I'm like, okay, well this. It's not ha ha funny. I mean, you know what I mean. It's not levity, but yeah, there's no le- there's a no cleverness to it that I, yeah, it's a cleverness that I really enjoyed and I found very sort of engaging. It seems like yeah, that, you know. they. I mean, everyone's so beaten down in Gotham that they have like this real cynical sense of humor, especially um, <laughs> like the the Gordon Batman dynamic is yeah. just like so yeah. wonderful, and a lot of the laugh lines come from that. And you know, like you said, it's not ha ha funny. It's just natural, naturalistically yeah. funny, like. <laughs> When Batman and uh, and Commissioner Gordon go to the go to the orphanage, uh, and he you know Commissioner Gordon draws his gun, he's like, "No guns." He's like, "That's your thing, man." Like, I'm keeping my gun out. Like, <laughs> right. it's just these little yeah. nods that are that are that are funny. And I don't think it was humorless at all. I think I no. think it could have very easily made the mistake of not having any humor in it at all. Um, yeah. I mean, even the stuff like you got a lot of cats. Like, it's just you know, <laughs> it's 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 goofy, and it's like, okay, maybe they didn't have to put that in there, but I'm glad they did. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to talk more about the the. Um, I mean, Paul Dano is just kind of you gotta <laughs> just kind of see him to believe him because he's just yeah exactly he's he's yeah. really crafted something really special here, um, and I don't mean to compete like things next to each other. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks this is a more complete vision of a villain than Heath Ledger's Joker, like who I think is like the gold standard for a lot of people. But I think this is a yeah. more like realistic take on a realistic version of a batman villain does that make yeah, sense yeah it does i mean i i don't think they're comparable i think they're very different sure they're very different films to begin with and i think the the what they're using the villain for is very different so mm. you know I, I i don't want to compare them i think i think they both are they stand on their own so it's, i don't i'm not sure what's to be well, gained by comparing them I'm trying to be immature and take pot shots here. And, uh, <laughs> Come on. I, th- I think that's right. But I just think that like, yeah. I was less inclined to be like, oh, wow, Heath Ledger's really crushing this as opposed to just being like, wow, this is the Riddler because he's got like right. this real boyish face. Like li- like you said, how they utilize him is is much different. I guess very quickly. I mean, my interpretation of the Heath Ledger, jo- Heath Ledger Joker is always the idea that he was a master planner who pretended to let things happen by chance. You know, that's all a facade. Everything he does right. in the movie is pre-planned. What he's presenting is like, oh, it's all random. It's all chance. It's all chaos. Here we have a similar version of the Riddler. It's like everything's pre-planned, but there's no pretense to say like, but it's all random. We'll never find it. He really has, he's almost more menacing because like his vision is so pure. He's not right. trying to dis, like uh, dissuade you to think he's doing something else. Like it's very clearly what his plan is. He just, when he realizes Batman hasn't figured out the last clue, he's like flabbergasted. Like, what do you mean you didn't figure it out? It's right there <laughs> yes. for you. I gave you all the clues, Snowman. Like, yeah. Mr. Policeman, it's right there. So, yeah, yeah I love. Like yeah, you're, uh, you're just not as smart as I thought you were. Like, his puzzles are like the only thing that have ever validated him, and so he just like he yeah. like gets off on lighting the match. You know, like right. just starting this chain of dominoes, and it's like I just. I, for the first time I feel alive because people are paying attention to me. And it's like very obvious in his character that he he's treating it like a game show. He's very like right. showmany. He's very like, but he's not very good at it. You know, he's, that's, <laughs> right. that's another thing Paul Dano really crushes is like this guy that has had confidence for the first time ever in his life is yeah. uh, manically confident. And it's just this very, very cool character. I just, I, <laughs> I loved everything about it. Um, 
Yeah, I think I do. You have, I don't know if you have anything more to say about Riddler, but no, no, okay. <laughs> no, um, I want to talk. I want to talk more about the the uh, the Batman Commissioner Gordon dynamic. Jeffrey Wright yeah. is Commissioner Gordon. Um, I I wasn't as dubious of this as I was of Andy Circus as uh, <laughs> uh, Alfred, but I was still yeah. kind of like I it could go. I like Jeffrey Wright, but it could go either way. But the way it went was so solid and so so great. Just gruff <laughs> enough, but just optimistic enough, and then. Um, just that real, I don't know. He almost had the same energy as the commissioner Gordon and Batman 66 of like, just always so flabbergasted by everything going on, but in a real yeah. gritty noir way, um, <laughs> which is so it's perfect. I mean, Gary Oldman did that well in, I, th- I thought really well in the, in the Nolan movies, but Jeffrey Wright was yeah. like just way more run down in these movies. <laughs> uh, <and> like <laughs> he, he, you could tell he's like, why am I such a good cop? Why, why do I do this? But, um, yeah the the dynamic between the two of them were like ha- half of the scenes that Batman in it's Jim Gordon and Batman walking around together. And Absolutely. that's, cru- that's yeah. crucial, especially at this level of Batman's career uh, that <laughs> he has one guy in the serve in, in the system that like, is like, you're crazy, man. But like, I like what you're doing. We'll figure this out together. Um, I yeah. thought that that dam- that dynamic was, re- they really, really nailed that. So, yeah, I mean, you really get the sense that there is a respect. And since it's, as they say, two years into Batman's career, we I assume there's a whole backstory here. You know, they gain each other's respect, you know, from afar. But here they're actually working side by side, shoulder to shoulder a lot. And it really makes Jim Gordon a far more interesting character to me. You know, like Absolutely. he's he is realizing like, yeah, there are things that I can't do either because, you know, it, it's actually illegal. It's, you know, I mean. Or my police force is so corrupt that I'll never get this done. Here's someone I can do it. So recognizing the idea of justice can be served, whatever that means, using this relationship. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Respecting that. Yeah. Yeah. He dips it. He dips in like the most, the most corrupt he gets is dipping into like that vigilanteism of Batman to like break into the iceberg lounge of like, I can't get in there without a warrant, but you're Batman. (laughs) So, um, and then, Batman just acknowledging him as a good cop is like right what, that what uh, these yeah. movies are made for um, exactly uh, and it also helps that Jeffrey Wright if you ever need an actor to just deliver like tons of exposition uh he's perfect <laughs> at it you know he just explains everything so well in all these scenes <laughs> and he does it he does it and that like, like they said that real like flabbergasted way like of course we should have yeah. seen it coming this and this and this and this and this uh right. he's uh, I mean, the entire show of Westworld is exposition, but it's um, <laughs> he, he's especially like uh, amazing at it in that show. Yeah, um, that's a show we should do on this podcast is Westworld, so I can finally understand <laughs> what the fuck's going on. Um, uh, we're just going to go on character by character here because right now yeah. we got to clear out about two hours for John Turturro <laughs> as Carmine Falcone or as Carmine Falcone. Yeah. I, I just have no words. I think just so vicious and under understated sells sells it so well that when it comes to light that he's the crux of everything it's like it's so yeah. obvious but at the same time it's like it's like of course it's carmine falcone why would carmine <laughs> falcone why would you have him in this movie otherwise but at the same time it's like oh wow it's carmine falcone it's, it was yeah. him all along and like him like he's the mayor now you know he's doesn't matter who wins because he's always the mayor um, just so nefarious and just so well played. And like, even on like phone, like that real, like a uh, twisted phone call about, you know, where, <laughs> where he strang- he strangles Selena Kyle's friend, John Turturro understood the assignment for sure. <laughs> it really speaks to his talent because 
I've never found this sort of mob heavy Batman stories to be that interesting. You know, in my mind, it's like, if you have all these colorful rogues, why would you just care about some gangsters? Like that's never been that interesting to me, but his performance, he does become so sinister at the end. When you realize the scope of his power, the way he looks at the camera, the way he carries himself changes. Like that first scene you see him, him he's talking to Bruce at the funeral and you get the backstory of, you know, the Wayne's relationship to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kind of comes off as a grandfatherly figure. It's very much, you know, the sort of uh, um, Marlon Brando in The Godfather, where it's like, yeah, he's a, you know, a grandfatherly kind person who does all this evil shit in the background. Mm-hmm. When it turns and you get to Turo actually get to like really act up and be the sort of big, bad supervillain, so to speak. That transformation is so believable. He's such it's such a nuanced performance. He doesn't even have that many lines, but he makes the most out of every word he says. It's really masterful. What I really loved about, and this is where Matt Reeves comes in too. Um, I mean, it's you know John Turturro's talent and Matt Reeves' talent combined, but yeah. it's he has the same kind of gr- like shit eating grin the whole movie behind those yeah. sunglasses, which for <laughs> some reason to me seemed like. Um, like prescription sunglasses. Uh, yeah. But I just, I just like <laughs> always wearing them. And like, he has the same kind of grin, but it's, it's so warm and inviting at first. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's mildly sinister. Cause you know, the, the implication of Carmine Falcone in a Batman story is not right. like warm and inviting, but uh, <laughs> right. It, when the, when the, when the flip happens and you realize that he's the ringleader of everything, it, that, that smile becomes so sinister and, 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 and just so terrifying. And, and just, you realize how confident he is that he's untouchable. Um, yeah. but I just, I loved this performance and I, I didn't, like I said, I forgot John Turturro. I forgot I, either. I forgot, or I didn't even know that John Turturro was in this. So it was <laughs> such a huge surprise and just such a, a wonderful understated performance. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you think of um, Andy Serkis in this movie? Yeah. As you said, you know, I was a little suspicious of that casting. I did just doesn't look like Alfred to me, you know, right. it just. But what again, what worked is that if you let the movie unfold in front of you, you see the relationship between Bruce and Alfred be established, feel strained and not what I wanted. But by the end of the movie, it grows and changes. You know, every character kind of has this nice arc in the film. So right away, when the first scenes you see Alfred, um, Bruce tells Alfred that, you know, uh, that he didn't see him as a father figure. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but basically the idea of like, oh, you weren't a father to me, which honestly like hurt my heart. That was like oh, someone yeah. stabbed me in the chest because like, yeah. that's my favorite relationship in Batman comics is Alfred being a surrogate father to Bruce sure, and Bruce totally. sort of you know recognizing that. So by the end of the film where, you know, Alfred, you know, is in that explosion, he nearly dies, he's in the hospital. And then you get that beautiful scene where Bruce goes to visit him in the hospital and he's angry because he thinks there's some dark secret about Thomas Wayne that Alfred didn't tell him. And Alfred's like, well, no, your father's protecting you. He tells him the true story and there they hold hands that they reconcile in this beautiful way. And it, again, I got very emotional in that scene because I finally like, oh, this is the relationship that I wanted. And I, we had to get there with the film. You know, the film had to like play out for it to happen. Yeah, it's and, this uh, origin. I was so satisfied all, when it did. It's it's the origin of all these relationships we know and love, yeah. and we get, we get the backstory in in a really interesting way, in a really emotional way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said, like this this Bruce Wayne is the fiery, 
rebellious teen, even though he's not, I don't think he's a teen in this movie, but like he, <laughs> no. um, he's still in his like rebellious, he's rebelling against his father, Alfred, you know, you know, basically yeah. he's saying like, you're not my dad. And, uh, <laughs> that Alfred's response there is like, yeah. uh, he, he was like, I I'm aware. Yeah. It's like, right. so it's yeah. that it's so gutting. And then to have them reconcile later and that, that handhold and yeah. Bruce just kind of breaking down in the hospital. That's like a powerhouse Robert, Robert Pattinson scene. That's one of the most, yeah. uh, uh, that, that, that performance right there is like why I was excited for Robert Pattinson besides just in the suit. Like <laughs> he crushed that scene and those, the two of them together, um, Andy Serkis really, really um, came around for me as, as Alfred in this role, even though he was kind of, I think, underutilized actually a little bit. Um, he was, yeah. he was, he was yeah. deployed the way he needed to be for the story, but I, <laughs> I'm sure there's a director's cut somewhere that has like 10 more minutes of Alfred, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. He, what's interesting. It's, I think that maybe that's kind of what's unfortunate is that he exists to tell Bruce the true story about his father. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a powerful scene, but it's kind of like his only, what he, kind of like the only thing he does in the movie to drive the, right. the plot forward. But um, I did really love the moment in that scene where he kind of says like, yeah, I, I'm, I can't prove it was Carmine who had your father knocked off. It could have just been a random thug or a random, like, you know, criminal with a gun. Mm-hmm. And that to me is always a really important idea of Batman where it's like, there are plenty of Batman stories where it is Joe chill is just a random guy who right. needed money or Joe chill was a hired hitman or was an orchestrated hit by the mob. You know, it's like, every version of that is going to have a different implication, but to kind of leave it very up in the air makes Batman more interesting to me. So I love that they acknowledge that in that scene. Totally. Be- leaving it ambiguous and just his gut says it probably is him, but he'll never yeah. know and it, if, if it really doesn't matter at this point, because he's gone, you know, exactly. Um, Alfred just saying that like everything you're hearing about him and you think that your father's a bad person now, he's like, he was a good man still. Right. Um, yeah. Even after all this low down stuff, he just got in too deep. Um, and that's heartbreaking as well. And it's just, I, I don't know, there's that moment of um, re- recognition from Bruce in that moment, uh, which I think is really, really, really powerful. Um, yeah. And-, and again, I think, I think it speaks to, again, one of the big themes of the movie is just how Gotham as a city will corrupt anyone. So, I mean, Thomas Wayne has always been in my mind, a really pure character. He's a doctor. He totally. wanted the best for a city. And then he gets a little too deep. And it's like, that will ruin him. And it's like everyone that gets Gotham as a way of corrupting everyone. And by the end of the film, we literally have like water wiping the streets clean to give it a clean start. Right. And you have, you know, Batman being right there, being a beacon of light, leading Gotham, the city and its citizens to a brighter future. Yeah. Out I mean, of the it's flood. All right there. It's not subtle. And it really <laughs> like, again, those are the scenes that by the end of the film, I wanted to stand up and applaud. And like, finally, this is the Batman I've always wanted to see in a movie right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to go even, even that, like the pacing of it, it's a, it's a nearly three hour long movie. Um, I I don't want to go away from this without talking about Colin Farrell as the penguin, but this seems (laughs) like a good, this seems like a good time to talk about the fact that like the movie is so invested in its detective story and Batman's detective work, um, which I really, really, really appreciated seeing that aside of him. Um, even if it wasn't as in depth, uh, as it can be in the comics, it was still very much like him noticing footprints, um, things like that, putting things together, uh, tying things together, trying things, testing hypotheses and things like that. So (laughs) seeing that the story was Matt Reeves and so invested in the story and then creates this tension throughout it that when the action scenes hit, it is this release that is just like, 
I, I don't know, like just doing a, a, a bump of cocaine <laughs> like halfway through the movie. <laughs> it's like building, 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 tension, 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 uh, yeah. uh, uh, mood, mood, mood. And then that Batmobile chase hits and it's just like, oh, this is on. the fucking yeah. best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, fe- it feels like it was real. It feels like it was really uh, shot with semi-trailers slipping <laughs> yeah. over. I don't know if it was or not. I'm not sure about the making right. of, but just the yeah. rough and tumble nature of that that amazing like Dodge Charger style Batmobile slamming into yeah. things, uh, things, you know, semi-trailers flipping over. Um, just the length of it and the intensity of it, the music during yeah. it. Um, and then it revving up like the him sitting in the shadows, <laughs> revving yeah. and charging up this, this, and this really like otherworldly sound of like the, the turbo chargers or whatever in the, in the Batmobile yeah. revving up. And I was just like, let's go, let's do this. Absolutely. I mean, moments like that really, really kind of underscore Matt Reeves understanding of Batman, both as a character and idea and aesthetically. I mean, it's just there up until that scene, you kind of see the Batmobile. It's there in the background, you know, in Bruce's like lab or his Batcave, as it were. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of see, there's a couple scenes where you see them putting the engine block together or you see parts of the engine laying out. Mm-hmm. So the Batmobile is like slowly getting built. And then when it finally hits, yeah. And just, they go all in. It's like, well, here's the Batmobile section of the film. And it's so visceral. I mean, that chase scene is so visceral. I we should very briefly say that the sound design in this movie is incredible. It's because you basically feel every every footstep Batman takes. You feel in your chest. You know, it's just like every punch, every punch, you almost recoil in your seat. Sounds like uh, (laughs) like meat packing sound. It's I said it was like the most Batman sounding punch um, just possible. Everything was just so amped up to to this, like you said, this really visceral level. Um, they're the this- they're the raging bull punches i mean i wonder if they use the same sounds because you've seen raging bull it's the same sound the punches like reverberate in your head when every time they land or maybe it's the scott walker punches you've ever seen uh <laughs> have you ever seen that scott walker documentary where he's like yeah making, he's making his ex- experimental music he's like punching yeah. the meat yeah i was like <laughs> maybe they take it from that instead sure. um but uh yeah that chasing and then to build, build 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 again and i kind of thought we weren't even going to get like an action climax in this movie um, which is a ridiculous thought now because all the bat, <laughs> all the Batman fighting in this movie, fucking rules. I don't even know how. There's yeah. no eloquent way to say it. It's just so rough and tumble, visceral, just gr- down and dirty, gritty fighting. He's not always, yeah. he's not always landing perfect blows. He's getting shot back by shotguns oh, to yeah. the chest and, and gets, like getting back up and like he gets tagged um, so many times. And I remember like when the first trailer dropped and there's that or the second trailer and there's that scene where he's walking through the hallway and it's just machine gun fire to his chest. And like, yeah. that really rubbed me the wrong way. Cause like, well, it's not Batman. Like he should be hiding in the shadows and avoiding all that. But again, it's much like a comic book where I can, re- I've read a lot of bad, boring Batman comics because the artwork is incredible. I'm over willing, over willing to overlook a lot of flaws. And I don't say this movie is terribly flawed, but moments like that, which initially I thought wouldn't land the visual spectacle of it carried me over that hump. We're just like, okay, he's in this scene and he's going to get shot a few times. Luckily he's wearing armor, but visually (laughs) it's so striking. Like that scene, the way it's timed to the music, the the muzzle uh, flash of the guns going off. That's the only light in the scene. The natural lighting of it is the muzzle flash from the guns. That's just like such a, that's such an amazing choice. It's, it looks so cool. And again, it's, it makes me appreciate, you know, something that I've, Initially, if I think about it too long, it bothers me, but like I'm willing to overlook it because it's just so striking. Same thing with the fight scene in the stadium where he shoots the like the um, 
fire extinguisher and you get the screen fills with like the fire extinguisher smoke and it's Batman fighting in the shadows and fighting mm-hmm. in the smoke. It's like, oh yeah, that's what you'd see in a comic. And like, it makes totally. total sense that the yeah. fighting would be rough and tumble and mess and messy in that moment. So Absolutely, I don't, I, yeah. it, I, I don't want to, I, there's nothing about this movie that's realistic, which is hilarious. How many reviews I've seen calling this movie realistic. No, there's nothing not, realistic <laughs> about it. <laughs> right. But like, you know, those fights where it's like, oh, yeah, if you're in that moment, that's what a fight would look like. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Anytime a, a elevator bell dings in a Batman movie, it's like it's going down. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just you can never you can never go wrong with an empty elevator. Where is he moment? You know, yeah. it's just like always going to work for me. It's just literally going to work <laughs> for me every time. Um, uh, yeah. And that, that moment in the uh, Gotham Square Gardens or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, it didn't need to go that far but i'm so glad it did it's it, like <laughs> right. the, mo- the, yeah. the movie was kind of wrapping up and then it even goes one step further to the seven vans across the city that riddler's exploding yeah. and to have his like his like cronies and his henchmen and i love it i love it. it's a very realistic way of you know henchmen are a very big part of the batman mythos and it was a very realistic and cool way to recruit like have like um like these fanatics alongside him yeah. that are like yeah it's and it's only like six or seven of them but i love the recruitment process and i love that like the cronies made sense just the just the sheer excitement of the build to the the, the streets are flooding everyone's <laughs> trapped the mayor gets shot she gets sniped everything's looking <laughs> dour and then the timed explosives go off at the top yeah. of the building and batman <laughs> like double grappling hooks in and just yeah. starts wrecking oh. shop is like yeah. I I wanted to stand up and cheer. I just <laughs> I just felt it or like uh, Blues Brothers style, just start like dancing in the aisles because it was just <laughs> it seriously was like so invigorating. I I just I exactly. can't even I I just can't wait to see that part again. Again, um, if, as I've hinted at in this discussion, I'm a pretty cynical Batman fan. Like I very I'm mm-hmm. very like hesitant about getting too invested in these films, but. I mean, that's a moment where it totally lands. It's like, okay, that's what I paid to see. I paid yeah. to see Batman wreck shit and like look cool doing it. And totally. like that moment where when you realize the plot's even bigger, it's like, oh, we're going to go one step further and have it turn into the city being flooded. You just picture Matt Reeves is taking all of his poker chips and shoving into the middle of the table because yeah. he knows what he's got in his hand. And it totally works. Absolutely. You know, it, he, he totally wins in that. It, it's great. I could have very been like, oh my God, it's still going. But it's like, oh, <laughs> I was like, yes, it's still going. It's still um, going yeah. Um, I uh, was mentioning Batman storming the club to reach the Penguin. We got to talk about Colin Farrell. We'd be remiss in our actions. Okay, yeah. If we don't talk about Colin Farrell. Um, <laughs> everything I read about him coming up to this movie was like, it's going to be a smaller bit part. Um, Penguin's not going to be <laughs> as involved. And it's like, that's like 10% true. But yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's kind of a critical figure in this movie, especially like when they're doing some flawed detective work to, to find him as the informant and things like that. <laughs> I just loved him. I thought this was a really great version of the Penguin. Um, if you're going to do a mobster story, this is like a classical way to integrate the Penguin into the story. It's just like kind of like a, a two-bit gangster that's like thinks he's got it all under control, but really he's like the he's second fiddle to Falcone. Uh, yep. And that's kind of where his yep. menace and his deranged attitude comes from but he's not really deranged in this movie he's just kind of like uh let's uh let's just do this i'm a gangster it's fine um <laughs> but i just i think that colin farrell's just having the time of his life in this movie so yeah oh yeah i mean that he's the most fun part of that chase sequence um you know i just, got you <laughs> it's I got great you. And, the, <laughs> and then the scene um 
what's well, uh, Batman and Gordon interrogating him and he's not having it. You know, he realizes mm-hmm. that they haven't figured it out yet. It's, it's all really great stuff. And, you know, I know part of, again, part of it comes from reading so many Batman comics, like any big Batman story, especially if it involves organized crime at one point, Batman's going to go pay a visit to, you know, club iceberg to visit the penguin. Yeah. It's just part of how Gotham operates. So I was glad to see that on the screen and like, mm-hmm. Rather than making the penguin a focal, like let's add another villain to the movie. It's like, no, he's always been here. He's just a part of the background of Gotham. And you right. can't get any information about the underworld without going through the penguin. He kind of, you know, has connections to everything without getting himself dirty, really. And it's like that relationship or that version of the penguin is something I'm very familiar with. And I was glad to see it portrayed that well on screen. Yeah, totally. He's like the Cerberus of the mobster world. He's just like yeah. the, the guardian of the gates of hell of Gotham is like, you got to get, you got to get through the penguin first. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, it, utilize him in a very realistic way. He's just, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed his performance. <laughs> I do have to laugh that again, I, the guy sitting next to me was very annoying the entire film, but when that scene where they're interrogating penguin and he's still in the leg shackles and starts to waddle away, the mm. guy next to me is like, Oh, he's waddling. And I was like, all right, that's pretty great. I had to give yeah. that one to that guy. I'm like, all right, you're right. Paul, the guy next to me was so annoying. I couldn't, <laughs> oh, I, no. I had to like, I had to like employ like Zen tactics to like tune him out. <laughs> Every, everything just like going, Oh, 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 well, he was the, he was like, the biggest like, Batman fan in the theater. Like, he, yeah, he totally. Was, like he was clearly the biggest Batman fan there was. So totally. We got hats off to that guy. Rats off to that guy. <laughs> the, the length of it has been a point of contention in reviews. I've read too. Do you think it was, yeah. uh, what, what do you think about the length of the film? My, I mean, my complaint is that not so much the length of the film, but uh, the conclusion, I feel it suffers from um, the same problem that Return of the King had, where it has like three endings. Sure. And you can't decide which one it wants to actually finish on. Mm-hmm. You know, I really thought the scene of Batman helping, you know, citizens evacuate would be the last scene because that's kind Me of like the perfect culmination. Mm-hmm. It goes a little bit further. It does some interesting stuff um, after that, but it almost just feels like, yeah, the last maybe like 15 minutes is like, we could probably trim this down and just leave this for the sequel. Right. Um, there's one scene that I did find pretty egregious that we should probably touch on. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second, but like, <laughs> sure. I, 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 I tend to agree. Like I, I well, actually I'm of two minds. I, I wanted it to be like another three hours long, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was also like, as it was, I think it was probably like 15, 20 minutes too long there was a couple like returns yeah. to the bat signal conversations that i was like maybe we don't need this one and then the one the one scene we're about to talk about and then um i do think ending it on top of the stadium looking up at the camera would have yeah. worked uh but i do think it was worth it to get the side-by-side catwoman batman like motorcycle through oh, the, through the, through the cemetery yeah. and then yep. to, to see her to look in the rearview mirror to <laughs> see her driving away and then just ending on Batman's face, it was worth it for that extra, extra run. Absolutely. And, and yeah. um, so the part before we get it, we're, <laughs> I think that that's uh, as much as we get into without seeing the movie uh, three or four more times. Um, right. Yeah. The plot itself is very twisty turny. So we, I mean, um, maybe we'll do another episode. That's a more deep dive on the plot and things like that. At some point we'll see. Um, <laughs> I kind of wanted to get into some reckless speculation about, the future of the Batman after this role. So we're going to head into some of that now. Uh, So the scene that we're talking about, (laughs) 
there's a scene near the end of the movie, which I I really wish was not in the movie, Paul. I really, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I really wish it's a it's a scene where uh, the Riddler is locked away in Arkham and a mysterious figure. He says like it says like mysterious Arkham Arkham prisoner in the credits. Yeah has a conversation with the Riddler about sometimes you're the hero. Sometimes you're the clown and who could it be? It's probably the Joker. And it's like this movie almost got away with not trying to connect to anything else and just be its own (laughs) weird little interpretation and maybe have sequels at some point, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily, it just felt like one scene too many. And not, not that it was, not that it was a bad scene, the surprise and the shock value. And the fun of seeing the Joker is kind of over. <laughs> Absolutely. For me, yeah. for me. So to <laughs> be like, I, like, I wish it was anybody, but the Joker, I wish it was, anybody. <laughs> I wish it was calendar man. I wish it was yeah. an, like anybody, but the Joker in it or, you know, or just the scene didn't exist at all. Or it right. was a post-credit scene. Which yeah. Was like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm inter- eternally grateful that there is no post-credit scene. Like I'm so sick of that, that, gimmick <laughs> so i'm mm. glad it wasn't there but again it felt superfluous in a way um obviously they're setting up for a sequel i think reeves has said he has ideas for two more films yes, and i did read that he had um cut another scene from the film in arkham where like batman's walking past you know a cell and you see it's the basically the same scene from um the killing joke where Bat- where joker's like laying out cards on the table oh yeah and i heard like that that was basically one of the, another scene that was cut Thankfully, uh, could have cut this one too, but, um, I'm again, I'm, I'm sick of the Joker, but having had my expectations overturned with this film, I'm mm-hmm. willing to give Matt Reeves, you know, enough rope to, uh, to hang himself with, so to speak, to give oh. me a, a version of Joker I would like. And I do love, I do think, I do think Barry Keegan's great. I love that guy. Um, yeah. he's amazing. And like the killing of a sacred deer, um, oh, yeah. his, his little cameo in the green Knight is wonderful. Um, I mean, he's even probably the best part of Eternals, which I didn't care for really at all. Um, (laughs) But he's he's very good in that movie. So it's going to be an interesting turn to see Barry Keegan as the Joker, I think. But Mm -hmm. like you said, I don't know if I'm not I'm actually I'm not sick of the Joker. I'm just sick of like, who's going to play the Joker? Who could be the best Joker? Willem Dafoe should play the Joker. And it's like all the all the fan casting for the Joker is always so bad. Uh, and like just a complete misunderstanding of who the joker is because like i (laughs) the the joker batman dynamic is just like i i don't think i'll ever get tired of it i really love the joker batman dynamic in um the arkham games the arkham like video games um are really wonderful i mean i mean i shouldn't say i'll never get sick of it it's just kind of like (laughs) on film it's just it's like man we've been here before can we do at least somebody else can we what what let's get really topical why not the kg beast let's make it you know current day (laughs) Totally <laughs> bring him into it. Let's make it happen. So in terms of like reckless, reckless speculation for the future, not specifically like beat for beat, what I think is going to happen. Like think to uh, a world where Heath Ledger's Joker didn't, didn't die or <laughs> where, where Heath Ledger didn't die. And, you know, the Joker was supposed to be in that third Nolan film as well. And he was building this like crime empire story. I really think that that's like what, like the, just the cards that like, like you said, the cards that Matt Reeves are playing is playing right now are mm-hmm. like, he's building this realistic Gotham quote unquote, realistic Gotham that like no one was trying to do so hard, uh, but just went too hyper real with it. And yeah. so this like crime 
uh, th- this rise of crime and, and super villainy, long Halloween esque style story of of Batman origins within Batman origins is something mm-hmm. that I'm really excited for, especially with this cast. Um, yeah, to get to get Pattinson back again, I think it's. I don't think this performance was lightning in a bottle. I think he just got it in him and understands yeah, what Matt Reeves is going for. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I do love the idea of if he's, if Matt Reeves has two more of these in him to to um, build build the like quote realistic Gotham crime world with these like larger than life characters in it. Um, I'm really interested yeah, I mean, to see where we go. I mean, at this point, you know, if that really is the Joker that's in that cell, I mean, he's already introduced all four members of Underworld United. So, yep. I mean, we could just get an another version of sixty six. So let's do it. I'm into let's that. get yeah. let's get the, uh, the let's get the Penguin submarine in the harbor. Let's <laughs> exactly. ba- like Gotham's underwater now. You got to have a way to to travel oh around. It writes itself. It's yeah. <laughs> Matt Reeves. If you need us, we're here. Um, he's like, I don't, I don't need you. Did you see my movie? I didn't have this in the outline, Paul. But if you yeah. could have any uh, any villain brought into this 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 universe, this Batman universe, which one would it be? Uh, I mean, that's really tough because um, now I'm trying to rack my brain. Um, I think if you're going to do uh, this version of Gotham, if you want to lean into the horror aspect, I think Professor Pig is a totally. really good option as a really mm-hmm. creepy villain. Um, you know, if that's from Grant Morrison's Batman run, it's appeared in a few other things. But if you want to go straight up the horror villain, I think that's might that'd be cool to see on screen. I think a, I think a Court of Owls story yeah uh, would be wonderful yeah. especially given the 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 um cd corruption of gotham mm-hmm. level of this movie and like like stating that it's all diseased and going back into the history of, of gotham with court of Owls would be really fun yeah. also i think maybe flipping it around and having man bat in it somehow would be, <laughs> would be a lot of fun it in not yeah. getting it still still keeping the tone of like keeping it like I, it's ironic that I say grounded with a flying character, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, keeping it more grounded and, but still that larger than life, but having man bat in it somehow would be really, I, really fun. You know, and as, as we're talking, if we, again, uh, I don't know where else to go. I mean, he's already introduced Tweedledee and Tweedledum. So anything. <laughs> That's true. Point, so, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a shocker. <laughs> I did not expect that. And I loved it. Um, yeah. If you want to play up some of the more, Again, horror aspects with the gangster aspect. Keep it a little bit towing the line of ridiculous and sort of realistic. I mean, ventriloquist would be awesome. I so think that'd dope. be a, that'd be fantastic. I think that would really work in this world. Uh, Professor Pig was my was my first choice, and I think that that oh, okay. I think that would just be that would be a blast to have like yeah. uh, really tow that our our line our rated line a little mm-hmm. bit more. This is like the most like this is the, about. I don't mean this to say this in like a, we need more R-rated superhero movies, but I just mean like, because <laughs> uh, I don't think that at all. This is about as close to R-rated as you could get, and I was really surprised. Is this the only Batman movie that has the has someone saying fuck in it? Off the top of my head, yeah. I can't think of another <laughs> one. So, no. <laughs> um, besides Batman 66, of course, no. Of um, course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's um, one of the when he punches somebody, that's the sound effect. Fuck! <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> 
I think we did as good of a job as we could with a movie we just I mean, saw last night. So the the thing is, like, I could keep talking about it, but it would be very directionless. And like, I think I need a few more viewings under my belt to really form totally a more cohesive statement. I'm just I'm so giddy. It was so tough being at work today, not being able to talk about it with anybody. So I, yeah, I'm glad I can was, get a lot of this off my chest. So that was that was what I was so looking forward to recording this because I was like, I I needed to just like grab somebody and yell in their face like the Batman is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so I'm glad it could be you. I could virtually grab oh. you by the collar and tell you that it's awesome, even though you already knew it. <laughs> We're going to wrap up our conversation on, on Matt Reeves, the Batman. But real quick before we go, Paul, it's time to face the trials again. Let the trials commence. So this time, Paul, we've already run you through the off the bat game that we were playing before of your best and worst from every from the whole series. Um, I just want you to go real quick gut check and tell me your, your, your Batman list. I had, I said yeah. best to worst, but let's do worst to best. So there's some drama. <laughs> okay. And this is very off the cuff. I, if I spent more yeah. time thinking about it, it might change, but I mean the, the top five are pretty much locked in at this point. So, um, mm-hmm. um, the worst is Batman versus Superman. Um, I didn't even, I, I, I hardly include that on the list, honestly, as a Batman film. Uh, then I'd go Batman forever, which, I've not seen since I saw it in the theater, but I, I don't really want to rewatch it. So um, then I'm going to go Zack Snyder's Justice League. I actually really like Ben Affleck in that. Uh, Batman Begins is number eight. Uh, Dark Knight Rises slightly above that. I'm going to go Batman and Robin. I have a soft spot for that film. And then Batman Returns, Dark Knight, Tim Burton's Batman. And then this film, The Batman, ranks number two behind, of course, Batman 66 starring Adam West. That'd always be my number one. I think it's a good list. I think it's uh, just controversial enough to be fun. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. um, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do mine uh, as it stands right now. Coming in last is uh, Batman forever. I just was so fucking annoyed <laughs> watching this movie. We're going to talk. I'm, I'm sorry uh, to Ren. We're going to talk more about this movie next week. And I know that they love this movie uh, and Batman and Robin. Uh, and we're going to talk more But Batman forever. I, I was just so goddamn annoyed watching this movie that i had to put at last um batman versus superman uh at least has wonder woman in it at some point and like it barely counts uh zach center's justice league uh after that then batman and robin then batman begins (laughs) then the dark knight (laughs) then the dark knight rises i just love bane i just love bane so much (laughs) Uh, sure. And it's a, it's a, it's a crazy flawed film. It's too oh, yeah. long, but there's so much happening in 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 Dark Knight Rises that I think is fucking awesome. I think the Dark Knight is overrated. I'm sorry, everybody. Sure. Uh, then Mask of the Phantasm, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, I, I really love. I, I watched that again recently, oh, yeah. and it's oh, yeah. it's so so good. Um, and I almost forgot to. to I, I just added it right now. I almost forgot to include it. So maybe <laughs> the whole the whole exercise is flawed. Um, then Batman sixty six. Then Batman eighty nine. Uh, then Batman Returns, and wow. I just got to go for it, Paul. It's the Batman is my number one. Like I just, you know, I, I've I haven't felt yeah. this good about Batman in a movie since they like the Keaton run. Um, yeah. and it's finally this movie that puts Batman first and like makes an interesting, compelling Batman. The Matt Reeves of it all, the Michael Giacchino of it all, the <laughs> Paul Dano of it all. I think everything is, everything is just working in, in, in on this cosmic gumbo level, like you were saying. Uh, and it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's recency bias for sure. 
but I, I, sure. I, I'm vibing off this movie so hard that I, I, I put it at number one. Uh, I truly, yeah. I truly admire your commitment, and uh, I, I'm not there yet. I, I think I'm planning on going seeing it again this weekend, and um, mm-hmm. I'm sure once I get a few more viewings, I'll be willing to go there. But again, I'm as I said, it really is the closest version of Batman I have in my head that I've seen on screen. So it, it's fucking, fucking awesome. I, I yeah, don't know how else absolutely. To, how else to say it. Yeah. Again, I could go on forever. Let's let's uh, plan to reconvene after a few more viewings, and we can yeah. wig out even more. Yeah. yeah, we're totally we're totally in uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like cerebral hijacked mode, like uh, where and that's that's a great place to be. And I'm glad that this yeah. is the movie that did it. So yeah, that Absolutely. wraps up our discussion of Matt Reeves, the Batman uh, as a whole. Stay tuned next week. Uh, we're kind of taking this out of order, and it's uh, I think going to make the conversations even more interesting and fun. Uh, but next week, I'm joined by Ren of Stitchcraft to discuss the Schumacher years of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Um, join us as they join us for that. And we discuss the campy wildness of those movies. And as I said before, the campy annoyingness of the Batman Forever. Conversation will continue after that with, you know, an- animated Batman, uh, et cetera, et cetera, going into the Nolan year. So the Batman series is not completed yet, even though we've talked about yeah. the Batman at this point. Make sure you check out Franchise Frenzy on our at the link in our bio on our Instagram and vote in that. Um, and guess what? The next series we're going to do uh, in honor of the newest version being released on netflix the next series we're going to do is the texas chainsaw massacre and all the different iterations <laughs> of that uh throughout the years <laughs> I, good luck <laughs> I, I was going i paul i realized i was going like too hard out of the gate with this show where it's like <laughs> right I, i'm gonna do the matrix boba fett uh batman, batman. and I, I was gonna do jurassic park next and then i was like i gotta <laughs> slow it down and not that i don't not that i don't love texas chainsaw massacre movies but um right It'll, it's just something I know a lot less about. So it'll be it'll be fun to like dive into the, the, the intricacies and the wild timeline of those movies. Yeah, make sure you follow us at B1N1Pod on Instagram. Um, we're working on a website currently, so stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks to Christian Cramo for our theme song. I realized, I, I found out recently that he tracked the whole thing and I was thinking two other people that I thought did the music for it uh but it was all just him so thank you to christian cramo for the music we'll see you next time on best ones that's the next one uh good to be back thanks for listening